0: Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Jason Smith. You can follow me at SponsorshipJ on Twitter or on LinkedIn to keep engaged with our Sponsor Talk community. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. All right, I want to introduce Brett Wallerstedt, General Manager of Sun Devil Athletics, Corporate Partnerships. How you doing, Brett?
1: I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me on Sponsor Talk today. I've been watching and following uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, happy you uh, reached out and asked if I could join you.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. For those listeners, Brett and I, we're, we're good friends. We, uh, we've we known each other, other a long time.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, 10 years plus now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in our days oh. at the
0: uh, IMG days. That's right. But, uh, for those that don't know you, why don't you tell tell a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like and growing up for you?
1: Yeah. So uh, I was an Air Force brat. Uh, my dad was an a Air Force uh, fighter pilot. So my uh, childhood was kind of, uh, you know, growing up uh, three years on uh, Air Force Base and then on to the next one. Um, but spent the most of my childhood late elementary, middle school, and high school in Manhattan, Kansas, which is where uh, my dad graduated uh, college back in the early 60s. And so when he uh, was being put behind a desk and out of the cockpit, he wanted to get closer to home and requested a transfer to an Air Force unit that was close by. So uh went to, went to a high school in Manhattan, Kansas, in a college town, uh, and uh, really just grew my love college sports from the time I was 10, you know, to the time I, you know, had an opportunity to continue at Arizona State um, and just knew that, you know, college sports, I, I knew I wanted to work in college sports some way, shape or form from a, from a very early age. And just my experiences, you know, attending Kansas State football and Kansas State basketball games growing up. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother. Uh, he was a college football player. He's actually the assistant head coach at UTEP right now, and he's been a college football coach uh, his entire career, been in many different places. Uh, my sister is uh, is uh, about a year and a half older than me, and she's uh, a career educator, elementary school teacher in Central Kansas. Um, spent her entire career, co- you know, teaching you know third, fourth, fifth graders, um, and uh, she's hunkered down in Central Kansas and has been there. Pretty much since he graduated from Kansas State uh, in the early '90s, so um, you know some of my early childhood was was uh, around college sports. And one of the first things my dad did when we got to uh, you know we'd been in on Air Force bases in Europe and uh, other parts of the country, um, and the first thing he did when he when he got to to close to Manhattan was buy season tickets to Kansas State football and uh, Kansas State basketball. And it was it was quite a a, a contrast and experience, uh, you might say, with, you know, it's well documented that Kansas State football up until the Bill Snyder era was uh, was one of the one of the least performing and least successful programs in the country. And and, and their fan base and attendance numbers kind of reflected that Uh, conversely with their basketball program and their legendary coach, Jack Hartman, players like Rolando Blackman, Mitch Richman, Um, You know, NCAA tournament teams, even, you know, Sweet 16 teams, Uh, Ahern Fieldhouse, which uh, uh, is no longer used. Uh, They have a new Bramlage Coliseum, but it's kind of uh, in the mold of Fog Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: But that environment, you know, we had we had last row seats behind one of the baskets up against. And I remember 10 year old, uh, you know, people back then, they stood the entire game and I sat on a little windowsill. That was uh, that was a uh, uh, route behind the last row uh, of the field house, and we had four tickets. That's and, probably uh, the most
0: comfortable know, seat in the house.
1: Yeah, it was it was the the the, the bird's eye view uh, from behind the basket, but uh, just really a lot of fun memories about you know Saturday games against Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma back at the Big Eight Conference. Uh, it was really really good basketball conference, you know, in the in the eighties. So um, uh, that was that was a lot of fun. So
0: and you played you played linebacker growing up, right?
1: Yeah, so I played played football. Kind of gravitated toward football, and uh, played all the sports, obviously as yeah. a lot of us did growing up. And then you know, high school really kind of gravitated uh, and 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 worked a lot on football, and, and then played baseball in the spring. So
0: how was that? How was that recruiting process for you? Now I know you went you went to Arizona State, obviously, um, but what what was that recruiting process like in high school? You know.
1: It was, uh, it was great. I mean, we had a very successful program, um, in the state of Kansas. We were one of the top, top schools in, in 6A, which is the, the highest division in, in the state. Um, but we had several kids. We, we came from a program that, uh, you know, would produce, you know, D1, D2, uh, you know, maybe D1 via Juco route. Uh, we had a lot of, we had a lot of guys in our program that, uh, that went on you know, to play Division I college football. So,
0: And what made you decide Arizona State?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a well-documented story here because he's still an administrator and a senior associate athletic director in the Arizona State Athletic Department. His name's Don Bakke. Don Bakke was the running backs coach at Kansas State from 1980, uh, seventy-five to 85, uh, recruited my older brother to play at Kansas State. And he was a, he was a linebacker as well. And then Don Bakke, uh shortly after my brother got to K State, came out to Arizona State on John John Cooper's staff at the time, and uh, he he had a lot of ties in the Midwest, and uh, he came back and recruited the Midwest for Arizona State, and that was the connection. That's 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 uh, kind of what I got got me out here, um, got me on a plane to come visit.
0: And then you've been there
1: ever since. Pretty much, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So.
0: So you 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 went to Arizona State um, to school, obviously to play football um, as well, and uh, you had a great uh, career playing at Arizona State, and uh, and then went on to play five years in the in the NFL.
1: You know, I call myself a journeyman. Uh, You know, I played on four different teams in five years. Uh, Longest stint was three years with the Cincinnati Bengals, but um, you know, was fortunate to got drafted in the sixth round by the hometown Cardinals. And then we went through a coaching change after my rookie year. And so kind of got on that uh, carousel, uh, ended up in Cincinnati for my second, third, and fourth year, and then finished with the Rams uh, my fifth year. So I like to say that I kept sneaking into locker rooms, you know, <laughs> putting my bag in a locker room, putting equipment on until they figured out, hey, probably there's somebody better out there. So, uh, but it, it was well, a five years, year. five
0: years, isn't that kind of the, the sweet, the sweet years or how many, how many years to play in the NFL?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, the average is a lot lower than that. Cause they, they take into account even, even guys that were just invited, you know, uh, into camp, but neighbor even maybe made a, an active roster. So, yeah, you know, five years is, is a good career. I mean, if you look historically, you know, for a backup player, a special teams player um, but four years is where you become a vested in all the retirement uh, benefits. Yeah. So that's maybe what you're thinking of is, is, in terms yeah, of, exactly. Yeah, the NFL. Yeah. Make
0: sure you get taken care of for all the, all the uh, injuries that you had over the years. Yeah. Well,
1: it gets better and better. So every collective bargaining agreement, your kind of pension gets bumped up a little bit, which is, which is great. Hey, I but mean, with that's...
0: you, you actually get injured even worse after your career sledding and stuff like that. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, snowball fights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> snowball fights. That's what it was. Snowball
0: fight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a story uh, for another day right right fully Good. healed by the way
0: you're all healed up you walking around That
1: yeah, was uh yeah, well january 10th was my one year anniversary of the surgery yeah and the accident was a few weeks before that so yeah all right
0: why don't you just give everybody a quick 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 story on that
1: so we might be getting to this but my, my son's a, a college baseball player here at arizona state we were back in kansas for christmas in 2019 and uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, get in a snowball fight with a, a collegiate division one pitcher. Um, so you can see my decision-making skills are are not very, uh, are not very sound. Uh, slipped on, you know, gravel and ice in the street, trying to run away and actually went crashing down, broke my tib, fib, uh, full dislocation. Uh, didn't compound luckily. Um, but yeah, I have a, a plate and uh, screws uh, it's a nasty, go for it. nasty. Yeah. Injury.
0: Is that your worst injury you've ever
1: had? Oh, by far, by far. I mean, I had. Some you knee played scopes. five years
0: in the NFL. Played, played four years at Arizona State high school athletics, and that was your worst injury of you course. ever had.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had, I had knee scopes and, and things like that. That was my probably most extensive surgery. I had, you know, just the meniscus tears and things like that that yeah. I had cleaned up. But yeah, nothing, nothing to that extent. So
0: what was it, what was it like your first, your first play going into the NFL? Like when you, when they put you in, whether it was like preseason game or whenever. you know, what yeah, was... I mean,
1: I remember my first regular season game more than the preseason games. Yeah. I mean, the pre, the, the, that first camp was a blur. I mean, you're just trying to make the team at that point. And, and uh, you know, I remember a couple of those games, I remember playing out San Diego for, for preseason, but I, I vividly remember my first regular season game was in, was in the vet in Philadelphia against the Eagles and uh, Randall Cunningham, uh, Herschel Walker, um, and, and that group. So uh, you know, it's pretty pretty special memory. I uh, Actually, got to play uh, a lot on defense in the second half of that game because uh, the starting middle linebacker guy named Eric Hill was a contract holdout that year. So okay. I played the first three games. Uh, I didn't ever. I didn't start any of those games, um, but I played a lot of snaps. And then the third week of the season, we we hosted uh uh the Dallas, the defending world champion super bowl champs, Dallas Cowboys in Devil Stadium, um on Sunday night. It was the TNT Sunday night game of the week back then. And uh that you know, of course that was Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, and uh and then that just that stellar offensive line, which was a kind of an indoctrination for me into the NFL that uh that here, here, here's, here's what it's like to get to play, or here's what it's like to play against Super Bowl champions and pro bowlers, right? Yeah,
0: Super Bowl caliber, pro bowl caliber players. Yeah. Well, after the NFL, you went to work for CBS College Sports at Arizona State. How, how did you end up getting that, making that transition from the, from the NFL to back on campus?
1: Yeah, so at that time, um, you know, they were the first rights holder uh, at Arizona State, and that uh, multimedia rights,
0: and they're the ones that, that, that ended up becoming OutFront Media too,
1: and, right, and all that, right? right? Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. That's that's kind of what they've evolved to today. And back then, even before that, there were a company called Premier Sports. Uh, Premier uh, really dealt with uh, venue signage. There, 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 were three guys: uh, Doug Paschal, who ran uh, the CBS Collegiate Sports, and even all the way up to OutFront Media Sports, and retired a couple years ago. Uh, came from American sign indicator. And so they, they were video board guys and and signage guys in venues. And then they kind of evolved into multimedia, yeah. uh, but they, they were bought by, you know, outdoor systems, which was a big out of home company that was headquartered here in Phoenix. Um, and then that evolved into the Viacom um, infinity CBS uh, and down the road. So I didn't know who I worked for my, I think I've had, I've been at Arizona state, you know, this is my third stint. And, uh, yeah, I this think was the first
0: time. stint. We're, we're going to talk about it. So first stint and you're in your third stint back.
1: Right. So this is 1999. I had okay, finished in 1998. Okay. Um, so it was spring of 99. I was introduced uh, by a friend to the general manager um, at the time. Um, and obviously I had contacts with in the athletic department. So as they were kind of building out their staff, I had multiple people that put me in contact with the GM. So I interviewed and came on board as just an account executive.
0: Nice. You're just selling sponsorships for ASU. This yep. yep.
1: Phone book. Uh, here's a funny story. So they didn't have offices for us uh, built out yet. And this is probably May or April of uh, spring of 99. I remember making phone calls. They had a setup in uh, Kevin White's office. So Kevin White was the athletic director at the time. And uh, there were three of us, early, early uh, you know, uh, hires. And, uh, we, you know, we, we had like a partner, a, a, spon- a current sponsor list and a phone book and, and, and some hardline phones. And we sat at his conference table for the first week of until they could get our offices and cubes built out. So sponsorships uh,
0: they, were done a whole lot different in 98, 99 so, than, than uh, they are today how did you end up with, with that job though? Like what connections did you have coming out of the NFL? I mean, obviously you worked at Arizona state, so I'm assuming maybe that was a connection there, but what was that transition though? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, there was a guy named Vic Segless who was a senior associate AD at the time. And Vic's been around. He's finally retired. He was Vic. Vic served as the AD at Long Beach state a few years back. Um, There's a guy named Tom Collins, who was a senior associate AD at the time. And then I mentioned Don Bakke. Don Bakke at that time had uh, transitioned away from coaching and was the executive director of the Sun Angel Foundation, which was being brought from an external fundraising arm being brought into the athletic department at the time. Um, And he was transitioning uh, into more of a kind of a sport administrator capacity within the athletic department. So I really had three. Um, you know and then you know Bruce Snyder was the head football coach at the time I you know I had him for my my senior season and uh, certainly you know a, as we all do when we're seeking employment and looking at opportunities you kind of use your personal network uh, to uh, you know at that time I had really no work experience I, I don't count the NFL as, as real 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 world work experience yeah um, so I kind of had a lot of personal references and know didn't didn't hurt that I was a Sun Devil and and uh you know a a known known former student athlete certainly helped so yeah yeah.
0: and you ended up you you left uh there after after a handful of years and and uh went to to work for Sunrio companies talk about that transition why why you decided to leave at that point to go yeah. Um, so I, go do that. What were you doing? What, what was that? What that company consist so of? This,
1: this goes back a little bit uh, okay. to my playing days. Um, and I had really two passions, sports, and then I had a little passion for real estate. And, okay. uh, you know, there were a couple of uh, some of my former teammates that were NFL players. We got involved in some, you know, residential real estate investment opportunities here in Phoenix, you know, just, a, just another vehicle to place some money and and, uh, and do some things uh, from an investment standpoint. I'd actually, one, one off season, I went and got my real estate license um, here in the state of Arizona. Um, and this opportunity was with another former teammate of mine from both the Cardinals and the Rams, a backup quarterback from Virginia Tech by the name of Will Fuhrer. And his marketing company was working with uh, this company called Sun Rio Companies in, in Texas. And Sunrio operated a lot like, uh, you know, back then, CBS and, and uh, Host uh, and, and those multimedia rights partners. And, and Sunrio's model was to go and partner with developers that didn't have, you know, internal sales and marketing arms. And, and when I say developers, it's more, it was more high-end residential golf course communities, lakefront, oceanfront, luxury condominiums. Um, I, I would say that these were all developers that were successful business people, but weren't really real estate developers and yeah. wanted to invest in, in, in different projects. So that was our niche uh, across the Sun Belt. We had projects from South Carolina to Texas and to Arizona and Nevada.
0: Were you traveling um, all over the place for that?
1: No, I was pretty much in Texas at that okay. time and then, and then in, in Las Vegas. Um, our, our biggest project that we did never came to fruition, but it was a very well-known project in Vegas in the mid-2000s. It was the residential development of the Hard Rock Hotels and Casinos, which was called the Bungalows Residence and Flats at the Hard Rock. <laughs> uh, and it was a mix of bungalows, condos, and condo hotel units. Um, and uh, that ultimately... Uh, never got built you know they sold the hard rock in that project to uh, a private uh, a private uh, i'm sorry a public hotel company that then just expanded the hotel after that so it, I, I it intrigued me because there were a lot of similarities in that model that that rights fee model where you're kind of taking a team of experts and putting them into an athletic department to represent and be ambassadors and sell sponsorships uh, for the athletic department well our our objective in, in Sanrio was to go to dev- uh, partner with these developers to really be their exclusive sales and marketing arm. Yeah. And what at the time uh, it was an, it was a new business model and it was outside of, you know, what, what developers had done in the past. If they were working on a project in a market, they might go to the lead re- residential broker in the market and say, I want to hire you and your team to sell my real estate. Well, You know, that's great. There are a lot lot of reputation and a lot of uh, credibility that you're bringing right to your developer uh, if you're bringing in the lead broker in the market. But that broker is not just representing you, that broker is representing other resale uh, sellers, you know, other developers. You know, they've got a whole office of agents. So ours was really that exclusive sales model and marketing model where we would come in and, and we would represent that developer's property exclusively in the market.
0: What did you learn by making that transition from athletics and, and working for SunRio?
1: Well, this was a very uh, again I mentioned high end residential real estate. So a lot of properties that that uh, that we were selling, um, you know, we we had a very targeted market. So I would say that from a marketing standpoint, yeah, this was really a, a, an education and okay, how are you identifying your target market, and then what are what are the strategies that you are developing? you know, to reach that specific demographic, right? And that was really a five-year education period that I saw uh, helped me grow just from as, as a marketer, right? It wasn't yeah, just about I, selling sponsorships. Yeah. It, it was about having a targeted mission.
0: Yeah, I actually um, recommend to young young people who want to get into sports to to uh, make sure they get some experience outside of, of sports too because I think some of the lessons that you can learn working for other companies that aren't quote unquote, you know, sports specific, like really helps you get a a wide range of of experience, but then you can also take what you learn from, from some of those uh, experiences and then apply them when you do get into making sports your career. Yeah. And I would
1: say uh, that's spot on for me, because as I came back into sports and not to transition ahead, but you know I got back into sports in in and that was out of necessity. Everyone, well documented financial crash and the mortgage backed security. Yeah, uh, financial. And this was market. your se-
0: this was your second stint with Arizona State. Yeah, so my State, second
1: right? stint coming back to ASU was really because I, I, I we built up our company to have about 45 employees. Uh, I was a principal in, in the company, and and uh, at the end of the day, it, it it came down to my myself and our, our my two other partners. You know, yeah. in, in late 08, early 09, that says, you know, we don't, we don't know how long this is, you know, every, a lot of projects we were working on, you know, went, got foreclosed on, went back to the bank, went into receivership. Um, yeah.
0: The real estate know. market just died at that yeah. point.
1: So we had developed our market. We At that time, you know, we had uh, actually grown and started to develop our own cre- internal creative team, you know, website design, you know, collateral design. Uh, you know, even even as early as uh, uh, brand branding for for new developments, yeah. um, and uh, that that was an area that we investigated that might keep you know help us sustain our our business model until the residential market started to come back. And you know, we didn't know at no at that point, no one knew how long it was going to last. So, had an opportunity because of the transition of rights holders at ASU.
0: Yeah. It became um, IMG at that point.
1: Correct. Yeah. ISP. Yep. Right. Right. Yep. ISP right before IMG. So
0: yeah. Yeah. ISP to ISP, IMG.
1: Yeah. ISP was actually in a bidding war uh, for, for the rights at ASU. Um, and then ultimately a year after that, IMG, you know, acquired ISP or they merged. So yeah. So had an opportunity to come back as the, uh, as uh, the associate GM. Um at, at ASU under the ISP, uh, then eventually IMG team, and uh, the thing I liked about that was, you know, even even today, I mean, OutFront is uh, is, a, is a great company, has some great properties, but they still have about the same number of properties that they had, you know, even twenty years ago. And the thing I liked about ISP was their portfolio, was the support, was They were the, growing. It, Yep, Ben Sutton and, and the group in Winston-Salem, uh, you know, even the broadcast department and all the resources, yeah. um, research, um, all, the, all of that really, really uh, was, it, it was a lot different than five years prior um, because at that point, you know, CBS division was still actually reporting to the out-of-home division and CBS. Mm-hmm. and the out-of-home guys you know they had this little sports marketing division but but it wasn't like a big priority whereas when I got to ISP when when I met you you know that was their singular focus right yeah so um, what I tried to do was bring some of that that experience in terms of you know high-end residential real estate marketing and the, th- and, the and the principles that I learned and how to how to target that market, how to reach that audience. And I really, uh, when I came back on, on the business development side and, and looking at new partnerships, and that was my full focus uh, at ASU, um, they, they brought me back in for new partnerships. I, I didn't acquire one one existing sponsorship. You know, when when I came back to ASU, it was understood that I, I'm not coming in just to manage, you know, existing relationships. I, my my my, my sole priority was to grow, grow our business. And what I did was really focused on learning more about my prospects' businesses, more learning more about their targeted demographic, learning more about their marketing strategies, um, and, and taking that into account as I tried to build a strategy with ASU Athletics with a better understanding of what, what are they trying to accomplish through this relationship. So yeah. that more targeted approach, you know, helped me realize a lot of, you know, I would say early success, even though it was my second time back, but early in that second stint within the first year, you know, I was able to drive a, a lot of new partnerships that had did not existed in the past, uh, kind of using what I learned in, 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 in the real estate world
0: kind of interesting that that during that recession time there was a lot of like sponsorships and kind of athletics and things that was was actually thriving pretty well and the real estate market and some other were were plummeting now you look at the pandemic now it's kind of reversed a little bit like the the real estate market's thriving but this entertainment sports market is is uh crashing it's just interesting how These two, these two different types of of uh, situations that come up just with the market and yeah,
1: well then yeah then it's industry specific in our world, right? I mean, there's certain industries that are actually doing very well, and there's others that that uh, you know are just you know struggling. I mean, um, you know, you know, in college sports, uh, we'll probably get into my time with the D backs, but as you know, college sports is heavily reliant on those local. Mom and pop businesses, alumni owned, alumni run. You know those restaurants. A
0: lot of passion you know, around the
1: the department. The, they're they're not the big the big national brands, uh, and they don't spend the dollars that the national brands do. But if you you know, in a lot of places, you know, they're the backbone. I mean, they're the consistent. Hey, I'm I'm alum. I have you know, uh, direct allegiance and alliance to. Uh, and and a lot of them are are, are donors. Uh, on top of that, they they spend marketing yeah. dollars and they give philanthropically. So, you know those those are the ones right now, as we all know, are are in the greatest jeopardy. Uh, at least in my opinion, um, you know that's not to say you know the Coca Colas, Coors Lights, and uh, those big sponsors aren't important. They're hurt. You know a lot of them are hurting as much. But um, you know when you look at um, our core sponsorship base th- those are the ones that I worry about the most is how, we, how do we get you know because that's part of our, our core fan base you know, yeah. it's not just yeah uh, donors and sponsors I mean that's they are core diehard fans
0: so you actually you you end up leaving again to to um, to the Diamondbacks.
1: Uh, yeah so locally. they're in the uh, they're in the Wme acquisition of IME, William Morrison. That's right. So
0: there was another acquisition that came up and and yeah. that that spurred the, the decision to kind of move. move I just didn't, you know,
1: region. I just thought from a professional standpoint, um, yeah, I needed to go grow some more. Sure. Um, and again, you, you keep in mind, I, I say I was a, you know, my first real job was when I was 29 yeah. outside of football. Now there's a lot of things I did in football that I that I use in my, you know, in my professional posts. Uh, playing career, uh, a lot of, a lot of characteristics and qualities that I developed playing football, but from a, from a business perspective, I I felt I was, you know, a little bit late uh, to, 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 to the, uh, to the business world. Right. So I just, there was a great, you know, uh, the Diamondbacks have a stellar reputation here in town as, uh, as a, as an organization that does uh, a lot of things uh, on the business side. Uh, you know, they're they industry leaders in MLB baseball, and then specifically to their corporate partnerships department, uh, which has you know been taken over by a former GM. That time that I was away, uh, a guy named Cullen Maxey was the GM for for a uh, CBS at ASU for about a year and a half, and then he joined the Diamondbacks in '06 or '07, I think, and and really took over and revamped their, their partnership department. And then obviously transition of managing partnership from, from uh, uh, to Ken Kendrick, who it is now, uh, you know, from Jerry Colangelo, there was a lot of changes in their front office. I got there sometime later, not until 14. Uh, but if you talk to any of our partners at ASU that were partners of, of the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, there, there, there were, 1000% positive feedback in terms of how they operated. Yeah. So uh, and people as you know in in the pro world, um I don't think the Cardinals corporate partnership staff has changed much in the last 15 to 20 years except uh except uh uh Rich Tomey, uh kind of stepping away and doing something else. But, you know, those, those jobs, uh, at least here in Phoenix, uh, you know, the, the, the Suns, the D backs, the Cardinals, they don't, they don't come open that very, that often. So had an opportunity to, you know, had a, had a close, uh, couple of close friends that were partners of the D backs in uh, key executive positions that recommended me to the D backs for that, for that position, you know, folks that I worked with at ASU. And I saw as an opportunity to go grow professionally um, and, and and go learn the pro world. Um, you know, I know you have some experience in, in that in, in, in pro sponsorships and and, and then I th- saw it as an opportunity to go go see what the D-backs were about, you know, and, and I didn't do it, you know, to ultimately come back to ASU. That wasn't my plan. My, my plan was go to the D-backs and be there for the rest of my career.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but and be with an organization that was known for treating their employees uh, fantastic. I mean that's that's one of their that's one of their uh, um, you know characteristics of that organization is how well they treat their employees. So
0: yeah, I know you loved it there. You yeah, loved the there. Pe- you love the people that you worked with there. I mean, you played professionally, but you hadn't worked in on the business side for for a professional team, and so. It was nice to be able to go there and get that experience. I mean, there's a lot of baseball games. What's the what was what were the what was it like going from from collegiate athletics to 100 and whatever games?
1: You know, not that different. I mean, I'd love to work in the NFL and just see you know for one season and see what that season's like. I'm not saying those guys don't work hard, but you know, 16 games over 17 weeks and then some stuff in the off season. But yeah, as you know, college athletics, you know, and, and what we're trying to develop here, it's not just a singular focus in football or football and basketball. I mean, we have 26 sports, you know, we have 26 sports that we compete in and we have 250 events, you know, in a normal year, you know, pre-COVID and we'll get back to that soon. But, you know, so you, you take into account, you know, 250 sporting events that we host in a 10-month period uh, and, and then on top of that, you know, banquet events sport team event, you know, sport team fundraisers. Um, you know, I would say that the work that the event schedule in college, uh, athletics is is greater than even, even a major league baseball season. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of long hours at the ballpark, eighty eighty one 81 home games, 162 games. It's a long season. Plus we were the only franchise that hosted spring training in in your own market. So, you know, we, we, uh, we worked spring training where a lot of other, you know, teams would come out to spring training and bring partners out for a extended weekend. They're vacationing and partners. you're working. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> working those games. So, um, but it was great, great experience. I mean, Cullen Maxey, the the uh, the chief revenue officer now, um, who I'd mentioned as as the former GM at ASU, uh, Judd Norris, who's the VP of corporate, and, and then Derek Derek Hall as the as the CEO. Um, a lot of lot of Sun Devils in the front office. A lot of lot of senior management position are ASU yeah. alum. They have a passion, you know, for Sun Devil athletics. So um, I, I would say that, you know, that experience and looking at, you know, and certainly there's things you can do from a retail promotion standpoint. There's obviously things you can do in the beer category that were, you were kind of limited, you know, here at ASU. Um, but but what I what I took away from the Diamondbacks. Um, that I'm trying to bring to ASU is, is one of the things there's many, but one of the things is how do we utilize our strategic partnerships to help drive our brand forward in the marketplace? Cause we are in a hyper, hyper competitive market. You know, you don't, don't just count the, you know, the pro league teams that are here, all four major pro leagues have a, have a franchise here, but then you throw in, you know, waste management, open all-star games, NCAA final fours, um, you know the fiesta bowl and, and in the college football playoff every every so often you know back then under the bcs and hosting bcs championships um, this is a this is a hyper competitive sports market and we're still a very young sports market right i mean d-backs are 20 what 22 21 22 years old now coyotes a couple years older than that i think uh, you know cardinals have been in the market for 30 plus years now but but there's how, how,
0: how do you separate yourself, yourselves from? That's our from challenge, that? right?
1: That's our challenge is what differentiates us from from the pro teams. And you know, one of the things that I've been focusing on the last two years since I came back in the spring of eighteen. How do we how do we make our partners understand that they're not just partnering with Sun Devil football, right? That's yeah. that's kind, and that's kind of the trap that I that you know I'll raise my hand and say you know my couple prior stints here. That I fell under as a seller, you know that 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 we're a football school. Son of a football, you go back to, you know, the '80s, and it was Son of a Football and Phoenix Suns basketball, and that was it. Um, you know, the Frank Kush era. Um, you know, the Fiesta Bowl championships, all all that early success, and and and, and not on top of that, you know, the the, the climate of Arizona is so favorable for out, outdoor activities that you're competing for people's time. I'm not just competing with the other teams in the market, and we're not just competing to get fans in our building against the other teams. We're competing against all the other outdoor activities that that are so abundant here in this state. So, you know, we're competing for that consumer's time. Um, so we're taking an approach that, look, you know, true partnership, is, as we talk about, it's not just seasonal. It's year round, and it's not just one year, it's multi-year, it's being with us. That's where the value is, is integrating your brand with our brand. And we're trying to do that on multiple levels. And we're trying to do it in a way that say, hey, come partner with us. You know, we just talked about, you know, the 10-month schedule that we have, you know, and now our bigger partnerships, you know, we are presenting those opportunities. And quite frankly, it's not like you're going to spend double to get all that other access and, uh, and, um, visibility. Um, but it just makes sense, you know? So if you're going out and you're pitching an exclusive deal, why would, why would not, why would that partner not have a presence in every venue that you have? And so we say, you know, from our, we don't have a true watch attended listen number like the pro teams have from a Scarborough Nielsen, Nielsen standpoint, but we have a combined number, right? So we try to take into account what's our what's our watch a link, a attended listen number for football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, which is our four primary sports. But then what's our attendance number for all those other sports that that, that host? I mean, our softball program has annual attendance numbers, you know, 100,000 fans. You know, we have a great fan base and, 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 and you know. Do all of those fans go to Sun Devil Stadium in the fall? Probably not. Some of them are just diehard Sun Devil softball fans. Their daughters play softball, um, you know, or whatever their connection is. So how do we tap into that and and, and, and help our partners gain access to every fan in our fan base? And, and that's been the approach is how, how do we compete against, you know, 2 million plus fans in Chase Field for the Diamondbacks every year? Well, our attendance number – is we have over a million fans that'll come to campus under normal circumstances over the, over the span of 250 events. So it's the, it's the aggregate collective you know opportunity that I believe in, in past and was guilty of as a seller of not at least presenting those opportunities to our partners. Like look at all of this other opportunity to engage with our fan base that exists. And I think from a college standpoint, I think that's, you know, if we're talking about just the athletic department, and maybe you might transition and talk about the campus stuff, um, uh, uh, you know, later, but if you're talking about athletics, you know, that is a huge opportunity that i missed on in the past, right? You know, we have some fantastic female athletes. And so, you know, there's, a, there, there's, there's companies out there that, that want to be engaged in those opportunities. And so how are we being more targeted with our prospecting, um, to identify, you know, companies that, you know, they might not want Sun Devil football and Sun Devil basketball, but they might want the other, you know, 14 women's sports that we have.
0: One thing I liked is, is you mentioned kind of this year long exposure, connecting your brand with, with the Sun Devil brand. Do You have some examples of partners that maybe have done a really good job of, of capitalizing on that and bringing those brands together.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of them is Gila river hotels and casinos. And, you know, we had a, a a prior partner for years and this has been an evolution dating to my first stint at ASU where ASU really wasn't the only place that we could have a casino partner at that time was on our, was on our radio broadcast and on our radio network. Yeah. They were very apprehensive about bringing, bringing, you know, As they as they rightfully should be. I mean, obviously, you know, fast forward 20 years, it's it's evolved greatly. And it's and as we know, it's 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 as much about the resorts, the amenities, the uh, the hotels, the golf courses, um, as it is, as it is the gaming. So, um, you know, when we partnered uh, with uh, Gila River back in 2018, the strategy was, you know, they and now they're a partner of the Suns. I don't know if you saw that that uh, the Casino Arizona is, yeah. is talking stick resort re- arena is coming down. Uh, so they, they want to be the leader in sports in the marketplace. And when we talked through the strategy with them, one of the things that drove a lot of the value for them was, was what, you know, obviously um, having them ingrained in everything that we do. So when, and again, this is one of our biggest partners, but, if you have a game entitlement in, in football, right? You've got your signage, your radio, your print, your multimedia, digital, social media, and you've got these game entitlements where you're doing on-field recognitions. You know, one of the things that they really liked was we, we do a game entitlement for, for them for every sport that we have. Because they know in their community and, 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 and so much of in their community is, is creating a culture with their youth Um, that it's not a matter of if they will go to a four-year college and get a and get a higher education degree. They're trying to change the culture within their community that at an early age, it's just expected, right? And that's a big challenge for them. So creating these opportunities to be multifaceted everywhere that we do, it's about ingraining not just the casino, it's ingraining their, the, the Gila River Indian community. And so having access to where they can load up a bus of, of, of kids and bring them, you know, that was very important for them. It wasn't just about bringing, you know, a couple of busloads to a football game. You know, what about, what about women's soccer? What about, um, you know, softball? What about, um, you know, wrestling Uh, all those, all those things. They know that they know that, you know, you know, football is, 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 is a well-known sport, but they have so many, you know, youth in their community that, that, uh, that are interested in other things.
0: I did want to touch on, um, you know, one or two steps back here. The, uh, you know, when you, when you came on the, in this third stint, it was uh, under the PAC-12. The the PAC-12 owns the multimedia rights to Arizona State, which is unique. That's a, that's a unique uh, situation. I know they wanted to, to do that with with other schools too, uh, is this the only one that the Pac-12 does that they so own the rights to?
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you, you brought that up. I know we wanted to talk about that. So the Pac and I in my time at the Diamondbacks, you know, I kind of stepped away from ASU and being in the market. You know, you kind of hear things and okay, they you know they parted ways with uh, with IMG, um, and uh, and then ultimately, you know, went to this Pac-12 model. And, you know, you hear about it, but you don't really know the kind of the inner workings of it. And so that was part of my process. And, you know, when, when I, I learned that there was a, a GM role uh, that was opening up and some of my contacts in the athletic department reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in, uh, you know, I'd first, you know, I, I wasn't, wasn't really that interested. I was very content, very happy uh, with my, with my uh, role at the Diamondbacks and, and the growth that I was seeing there. The Pac-12 model, you know, ASU prides himself on on being innovative, and it's one of the things as a university we say number one in innovation. You see it a lot in in the marketplace, a lot in Southern California. We're trying to attract uh, out-of-state students, Um, but Ray Anderson was kind of an out-of-the-box hire as our vice president of university athletics. Never worked in college sports before. Uh, You know, nine years in the NFL league office under Roger Goodell, prior to that in the front office of, of the Atlanta Falcons. And as general counsel, and prior to that uh, oversaw uh, the football representation uh, division of the Octagon Agency, and prior to that owned his own football representation, you know, pro football representation agency. Harvard law grads, uh, Stanford undergrad, I mean, super bright, intelligent, very capable, uh, but never worked in an in a, in a academic, you know, university environment before. So that was a little bit out of, out of, you know, characteristic of what you see university presidents looking for to lead their athletic department. Well, Ray, Ray's philosophy is that, you know, I, I want to manage and help foster and help grow, um, you know, all my departments, you know, with a singular focus. And that's the success of our 650 student-athletes. You know, when he looked at the rights fee model, obviously, you know, working in a pro organization where you know they don't outsource anything except maybe, you know, television, um, you know, they, the, you know, pro organizations are likely to to handle all their sponsorships. So, Ray Ray was okay with giving up the guarantee, right? And that, that was that's always kind of a sticking point with uh, with athletic departments. We have this guarantee, and you know, we I think can. Think
0: that's going to change across the country after the pandemic
1: getting ready to say that we can, we can, we can discuss that a little bit and kind of what that might look like moving forward. But Ray's thought was, look, if I, if I have to, you know, for growth purposes, I'd rather move away from that model, give up the guarantee and come up with something different. That's going to help, you know, drive us all forward. When you say drive us all forward, meaning every department and every sport, uh, individual sport underneath, you know, Sunnable Athletics. So the best way I can describe it is, is they had extensive conversations. You know, obviously the PAC-12 conference and the PAC-12 network are in existence for the betterment of all 12 institutions in the conference. And so, um, you know, there's certain inherent benefits of having a third party rights holder. As we all know, I mean, uh, one of the big things is privacy,
2: yeah.
1: um, you know, especially where for us as a public institution, any of those sponsorship agreements would be of public record so for our partners it's a it's a great benefit and, and there's many more um but uh you know there. so when they looked at bringing it in house it made sense to have a, a really a hybrid and at that time as you know a lot of a lot of rights holders out there were 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 exploring the the rev share model right and, and a lot exists today uh, that have transitioned away from a guarantee and you know you and i worked in that space it's hard to get to the rev share number because the the rights holders did a good job of negotiating that on the front end. Um, You know, maybe some schools, you know, years, seven, eight, nine, maybe 10, eight, nine, and 10, you know, triggered, triggered a a rev share number, but it was such a hard number to get to that, you know, that the revenue for the schools was really capped to be maybe a 3% escalator, you know, a small escalator in there. So it's a rev share model uh, without getting into the dirty details. I mean, it's one that's, You know, more favorable from uh, for ASU from a percent standpoint. um, That you know, if I were a if I were a private business uh, owner and looked at the looked at this rev share, I don't think any private company would agree to that level of rev share uh, to the school.
0: But the Pac-12 probably does it to. Yep. You know, that way because they're a partner school and they're Pac
1: 12 can do it because you know ultimately at the end of the day they're a nonprofit in service of all the institutions right so yeah. if they can assist and help drive revenue forward for each individual athletic department now you know there were a couple rights uh, i can't remember which schools maybe utah was one maybe oregon that within the last three years have come up uh for renewal uh, but the others were further out and i think you know, this model has, has, you know, shown proof of concept. And I think that was kind of the early, you know, the early, uh, um, you know, question mark with a lot of other schools in the conference was, you know, does this model really, really better than what we're currently operating under? Yeah. What do you feel than-
0: that guarantee in the multimedia rights model? Like what I personally feel like it's going to change because it's so hard and the, it's, it fluctuates so much based on market and, or uh, the, how the market's doing, and like a pandemic, yeah, so, you know. I know the pandemic's rare, but at the same time, you you it kind of opened everyone's eyes to like, okay, this probably needs to change. Um, do yeah. you see other Pac-12 uh, teams maybe adopting this um, with the league? I,
1: I think I think it'll come under strong consideration um, at, at the appropriate time. Um, I think that you know uh, as they work through their Relationships with their existing rights holder, and they might get to a point of renewal or whatever those existing agreements look like. Uh, I think there's a there's a, there's enough proven proven a uh, proof of concept with us that uh, I think it would be in their best interest to in, explore it, investigate it, you know, wholeheartedly before they made a decision moving forward. Now they may ultimately stick with a modification of uh, of a relationship they they currently sure. have, but at the end of the day, I think this this model in our conference uh, with 11 other institutions, um, at the appropriate time, I think they will all take a look at it and they'll all want to learn more about what we're doing. And, and, and and the, really the big benefits that I see from this is one and control is not the right word because we're still a third party. You know, I still have executives. Um, but, but ASU is involved in a lot of the key decision-making where I felt, you know, when I was part of the team as, uh, in the tr- you know, traditional rights feed model, you know, there wasn't an engagement, you know, and I know it's different from school to school, but there was, there, was, there was not the level of engagement that's really excited me these last two years collectively as an entire department, right? Mm-hmm. We're changing the culture within our department to adopt more of that pro-organization model of a true partner culture. Right. And that's and that's big. And that's going to prove dividends for us moving forward, which I always felt there was always a disconnect. You know, Uh, there was always one step removed. and, 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 And we were there to to, you know, in our capacity, you and I, we were there to to show a return for our employer on their investment. Right. Yeah. Whereas now I really believe our department is in alignment with the goals and objectives of the athletic department which ultimately are in in, in in 100% alignment with the goals and objectives of the president's office and the university. And so when we talk about a singular focus, you know, a lot of what we talk about in our department is how are we helping drive the initiatives of the athletic department, which is the success of our 650 plus student athletes and our 26 sport teams that we compete in. Yeah. That's our focus. That's why we're here. That's why we work in, in, in college sports. We might've felt that same way before in the past, or I might've had those same feelings, Um, but it's just a different sense in the way that this model has been developed that really from a collaboration standpoint, internally in the athletic department, but also collaboration with other campus departments like alumni association, uh, other other schools on campus, um, the knowledge enterprise, the ASU enterprise marketing hub, you know, that 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 from a holistic standpoint um, is opening up doors that that uh, that I think ultimately in this in this sports college industry that we're in to drive this business forward. That's you know, that's that's why you see Learfield IMG campus plus division. It's um, why you see um, JMI and, and what they're trying to do with with campuses and, and, and athletic departments. Um because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I think in our industry, we've been caught in the trap of, hey, you're partnering with Sun Devil Athletics, right? Where Whereas now, you know, we're, we're trying to, you're partnering with ASU. It's not just the athletic department. You're partnering with the university, the largest public university in the country for physical campuses here in the market. I mean, the economic impact that ASU has in the Phoenix market from what it had 20 years ago is is spectacular and it's and it's still growing so you know the partnership doesn't just stop with athletics with us the partnership is you're partnering with asu um and i think that that's been missed here in the past
0: and brett you you uh this past football season you had uh four football games right uh the pac 12 started a lot later than the rest of college football um you did have some some teams and and athletic departments that canceled their football season altogether. Some, some delayed till the spring. Um, but you had one home game, um, obviously had that great away game against Arizona that you just annihilated them, which probably made up for everything for the entire year, um, in that rivalry game. But, uh, from a sponsorship standpoint, what, what was it like to manage the partner, your, your partners during that during that time with, with, uh, just one home game? Yeah. Uh, to really maximize some of those, uh, basically one home game with no fans, right? Um, how how yeah. did you manage all of that?
1: You, you know, our biggest challenge was the just the uh, volatility of, of the situation. And, you know, obviously communication with our partners was paramount. I mean, for us to be out in front of it, it started in March as it did with everyone else. sure. You know, we have a lot of partners that participate, as as I've mentioned, you know, our other sports, but, you know, baseball and softball and other spring sports where we're were impacted. So we kind of had a a little bit of taste in the spring of how we were going to navigate through with partners with make goods and credits and and looking at opportunities uh, to continue to help drive them forward. Some of those partners, their businesses were shut down at that point. Right. Yeah. So the challenge, as uh, I said, in volatility was just the, you know, the, 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 how fast things changed, <clears throat> you know, you can put a plan together and then the next day new information would come out and all of a sudden that plan that you just, you know, put together, discuss with the partner, got agreement on, doesn't, is not really applicable anymore, right? Because yeah. things changed. That happened in, in, in mid, mid-August when the conference came out and made the announcement, we're pushing everything off into January, right? Yeah. So we went through a process with all, all of our partners. Of how are we going to help engage them? How are we going to help engage our fan? How are we going to use our partners to help engage our fan base, which is important for us? How do we keep our fans you know, engaged with us if there, we have no competitions? Um, how do we keep their brand in front of our fan base? Um, and so we started to develop that strategy of, You know, we were developing some some new radio content, um, you know, through our partnership with Bonneville and and our flagship station developing a uh, similar to this a kind of a podcast format where we weren't uh, necessarily putting all of our content through their terrestrial radio signal, but through their app, through their sports app. And uh, we have a dedicated, now we have a dedicated team channel, but it's just a way to get information out to our fans across all of our sports. And that was a, a, a one thing that we were developing was, you know, radio, radio app, new content, digital, um, you know, how do, how do we keep our fan base engaged, which obviously would benefit the partnership, the more engaged the fan base and then integrating the partner message into that will at least help give some value uh, if we can't have any competition. Then, you know, shortly after that, maybe four weeks after that, it changed from the Big Ten then announcing they're going to they're going to start in early October. Well, you know, I I would say this, I mean, from a conference standpoint, uh, I understand wholeheartedly why they made the decisions when they made the decisions, the medicine and science behind the the decisions they made. And, and, and one of the big things that is not, it's documented, but maybe not talked about enough was, was really the uncertainty around the heart condition and the myocarditis and what that meant for young, you know, uh, long-term effects, you know, of, of covid Uh, positive cases within your, your student athlete population. And and the conference was super conservative as it related to, you know, making sure that these student athletes, you know, come out and, and, and don't have any long-term effects all with their heart. Um, You know, so the, the, the planning contingency planning, putting a plan together, presenting to the partner, you know, going back and forth, getting buy-in, you know, we feel that, you know, this is valued at this and we're going to work through the partners. You know, I say we had two, two ends of the spectrum because you had different industries that were impacted differently. So one end of the spectrum was, you know, we just need to press pause right now. We can't do anything. You know, we, we, we just kind of need to get through a few more months for our business to understand kind of how this is going to impact us and what we can do. Um, And then the other, and then we had other partners that said, you know what, count on me. I'm spending hundred percent of my commitment this year. We're going to figure it out from a value standpoint, whatever the shortfall in value is then we'll address in future years. Yeah. So again, two spectrums of, of, you know, we have about a hundred partners and, you know, we're having a hundred different individual conversations because they're all, all the partnerships are different. Most of their industries are different. Most yeah. of them being impacted differently. Um, so the challenge was we got into this cycle where, you know, we'd plan, 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 get agreement, get agreement, and then things would change.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And so when we got into football season, we had put the plan together for football, had the game in early uh, November with the idea we were going to play seven games and then potentially maybe an eighth with the bowl game, you know, prior to the season, that was the thought. Well, we get hit with COVID and within our program. And, uh, you know, we're, we don't play for three weeks after that. Yeah. So, you know, we had all the things that you see that other venues are doing, you know, the seat kill banners, the TV visible signage, all of that stuff added. We paid the expense, uh, you know, thinking that we'd have three home games, potentially, you know, a fourth, you know, that seventh uh, Pac-12 conference game was always seen as a floater. The idea was if we played six and we got to the Pac-12 championship, then, then the number two team in the south would play the number two team in the in the north you know, on that, on that seventh week of, uh, of the modified season. Well, there were so many cancellations within the conference that by the end of it, they looked at that last game of just trying to, you know, trying to offer an opportunity. So we ended up getting one home game. Um, it, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, and then we've just had to look at, uh, you know, uh, every single partnership over again. You know, we got into basketball and we added some signage. You know, radio's been a consistent for us. Um, but it, it, it's, it, what we tried to do once, once we got around Thanksgiving time, it didn't make, I mean, we we'd gone through the process probably three times with every partner. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, we, we talked with every partner and said, look, dude, does it make sense to, we kind of have a plan now, if game gets canceled or postponed or moved off, you know. We're going to still ca- execute that plan to the fullest that we can. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we know if we miss games, you know, then then this plan is, is going to have to be rediscussed. But it doesn't make sense to go through a whole nother planning session just to have canceled yeah. basketball games. So, uh, again, communication was key for us. Uh, we stayed in constant. I mean, we talked to every partner multiple times a week. Um and, and at that point, going into, the, going into Thanksgiving, I think we just said, you know, look, it might just make sense that let's we have a plan in place for football through basketball, which is the, you know, the meat of our partnership. Uh, let's execute to the fullest that we can. And then, you know, we're going to have to have a value conversation at some point. Um, and some of them said, no, let's just figure it out now. Yeah, there were still people saying, you know what, uh, again, I'm going to I'm going to pay my full commitment because I know how bad the athletic department's hurting. We're doing well. Um, and we'll figure it out moving forward.
0: Well, Brett, I appreciate you coming on today. I've got just a couple of questions. I usually ask my uh, guests as they come on, as we close up. But first one is uh, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do?
1: You know, it's really, so as a student athlete, I didn't really appreciate you know, all the support behind all, you know, I mentioned our 650 student athletes. As a football player, you know, Football players are pampered, full rides. They get all the best stuff. You know, they're taken care of the most, etc. You know, they're the they're the most visible program um, in the athletic department on campus, etc. But I didn't really take uh, you know, as a as a student athlete, you really don't appreciate you know, student uh, academic student uh, office of student athlete development. Uh, you know, all the trainers and medical staff, um, but even on beyond that, the marketing, communications, sponsorships, the business office, and how hard you know, we've got over, I think, somewhere around 250 uh, um, 250 employees in the athletic department, and everyone's focus there is for our 650 student-athletes in 26 sports. So these last two years, I've really grown in appreciation for what it takes to make not just football successful, obviously, we, we all want a successful football program, but you look at our wrestling program, our softball program. I mean, we we compete at a high level across every single sport that we have. We've won the collegiate women's triathlon national championship three years in a row, and that's an emerging sport in college athletics right now. And ice hockey people people don't even know we have an ice hockey team that made the Frozen Four, uh, you know, uh, NCAA tournament in their third year of being a Division One program. They were on. They were going to be selected for a second year in March before the season was canceled. They, instead of sitting on the sidelines because we're an independent, they went to the Big Ten and said, you know what, we'll play 28 matches on the road this year. They're playing a 28 game ice hockey road match. I mean, that's a gauntlet. I mean, they're playing against the best hockey programs, and you know Minnesota's number one in the country. And you know we've beat them on, on one occasion or two occasions, and we've we've taken them within a goal of every other game that we've played them. So, and that's and that's you think about these eighteen to twenty-two year olds that are trying to manage their studies and their schoolwork, the uncertainty of this virus that's going on, and our ice hockey team said, "Screw it, we're going to go play a twenty-eight game schedule inside on of the, the Big road. Ten, yeah. and we'll play it on the road for yeah. for." for three months what drives me uh, beyond just the sponsorship world and the passion that I have for sports marketing is my you know career path it's really you know how we're making a difference to help the success of these of these kids and, and our sport programs and, and I think that's why you know we all ultimately get into college sports but you know as a former student athlete as I said I you know, I, I didn't know. I kind of went through, you know, four years here, and you know, just I like kind of did my thing and tried to have as much success as I can, and really didn't understand, you know, everything that it takes to to make it successful. So, yeah, that's my passion. Yeah. I mean, that uh, you know, that's that's what I want to do for the rest of my career, and be here at my alma mater is is uh, you know just kind of a cherry on top.
0: Really quickly, last question: If you were listening to this podcast twenty years ago, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? oh man
1: oh that's a long list brother that's a long list i mean choose your you know. top one top one yep uh I, I i think what i wish i knew 20 years ago and again this kind of is the end of the same uh you know how how do we drive asu forward right that's my focus now and i knew that i was going to be here 20 years ago where i'm sitting today it, it's all those things that we've talked about like what what's a different trader of uh of, of working with asu here in the marketplace and in the state how do we how do we deliver that message effectively and and help you know corporations that want to support us understand what the true value is and and what and and how they impact again not just the employees how their partnership impacts the success of, of these of these athletes and these programs you know we all get wiser with age and we all learn through experience um It's been a unique path for me. I've been fortunate working in this industry for over 20 years and all in all in one market, which a lot of people, you know, don't get the pleasure of saying. They have to move to different teams and different schools as as they kind of work their way uh up their you know professional career path. So very blessed and fortunate to to say this is my hopefully third and final stint uh with ASU and and uh and good news from Ray Anderson earlier this week. I don't know if you saw it, he kind of came out publicly and said you know although he's flattered to be considered a, a candidate for the pac-12 commissioner job he's yeah he, he he's passionate about uh arizona state athletics and and uh you know he knows we're we're on a great path um and uh there's a lot of work to do and he's he's committed to uh, the future and our future success so
0: brett Wallerstedt general manager of sun devil athletics corporate partnerships brett thanks so much for coming on the podcast today
1: Jason, I appreciate it, man. It's always great to see you. Looking forward to when we can uh, shake hands in person, hopefully somewhere soon down the road.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.